Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Right on time. Talk Recorded live. A U N. American Underground Network. The primary reason why the individual citizens of a country create a political structure is a subconscious wish or desire to perpetuate their own dependency relationship of childhood. Simply put, they want a human god to eliminate all risk from their life. Pat them on the head, kiss their bruises, put a chicken on every dinner table, clothe their bodies, tuck them into bed at night, and tell them that everything will be all right when they wake up in the morning. This public demand is incredible, so the human god, the politician, meets incredibility with incredibility by promising the world and delivering nothing. So who is the bigger liar, the public or the godfather? All revolutions have been led by young people. If you just think of the TV images of whether it's Tiananmen Square or whether it's the uh, revolts in Central America or Europe, it's the young people, it's the college people who are more principled and not locked in and they're not embedded with the government. They are the ones who are concerned about the future because the future is theirs. My research has shown at this point that the future laid out for us may be just about impossible to change. I do not agree with the means by which the powerful few have chosen for us to reach the end. I do not agree that the end is where we should end at all. But unless we can wake the people from their sleep, nothing short of civil war will stop the planned outcome. It's the National Collective Consciousness Show with Dee Dee Farrell in Portland, Oregon, Jim Condit Jr. in Cincinnati, Ohio, Steve Harris in Charlotte, North Carolina. Now, live from Evanston, Illinois, your host, Fred Smart. Hey, thanks everyone for coming back on the call. Week 482, 50 years ago today, Chicago got hit with uh, the worst blizzard in Chicago history in the year 1967. And here we are, week one, almost at the edge of completing week one of the Trump administration. Uh, So many new things are happening, Uh, executive orders, decisions, uh, building the wall, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. One of the largest political, spiritual walls that has ever been constructed in the psyche of mankind is is what happened on the morning of 9-11 in lower Manhattan. 5,616 days ago, and in a very rational, calm, logical way, we have two guests tonight. Bill Jacoby uh, and his colleague Jane Clark have been very active in legal circles, uh, connecting the dots, uh, moving forward with some paperwork, and uh, 
Bill is the secretary of, of two organizations, the Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry and the 9-11 Truth Action Project. The chairman of the Lawyers Committee uh, for 9-11 Inquiry is Jane Clark, who is with us on the call tonight. Uh, Bill is a retired executive and a lawyer. Uh, his bio is listed in our newsletter. He's, he's done, just done a lot. He's from upstate New York, Betty, your neck of the woods up there. And as I go along here, next week we're going to have back a very special regular guest who's been on this call, Bob Schultz from We the People Foundation. He's from that neck of the woods, Bill, and you may know him. Mm-hmm. But in any in any event, uh, just a, a lot of uh, activism, a lot of research, a lot of angst, and certainly the core of the lie that launched the war on terror can be attributed all the way back to 9-11 and the events that happened on that morning. And uh, so many people experienced shock, awe, uh, the, the, the sense of terror, the sense of loss, uh, the incredulity of, of that whole thing hitting us uh, between the eyes, uh, turning us upside down as a nation, as a society, as individuals, and really testing uh, our rationality, our patience, and our and our sense of, of, of who we are as a people. And I appreciate what you guys are doing to to try to bring legal minds into this venue to to uh, shine some light. So, Bill, thanks for coming on, and Jane, thanks for joining us on the call tonight. Thank you. Thank you, Fred. Now, Bill, you're <clears throat> down there in, in sunnier climes, Costa Rica. <laughs> yes, yes, we uh, we uh, decided to beat the beat the cold this year. Oh, very nice. Never been there. Didi has been there twice. Uh, uh-huh. When did you uh, circle back to 9/11, Bill? I mean, when obviously you can tell your own personal story of of, of what you felt and what you witnessed that that day. All of us have our, our own uh, historical context of where we were, how we felt, uh, and and how we reacted that that first day, that first week, and that first year. But uh, uh, did that hit you in a very odd way? Did you did you were you led to question it? or question the official story early on, or did that come later? <laughs> well, um, Fred, it was... Um, I, I'm not uh, an engineer or an architect by training, uh, obviously, so sure. if it simply had to do with the collapse of the buildings, I probably would have blithely followed along with the official version. Sure. Um, what struck me most immediately in the aftermath was it just sounded to me like a very bizarre way to respond to such a calamity to start a war in, in Afghanistan. Uh, I've been out of the country before in places in rural areas like Peru and elsewhere, uh, and um, it didn't seem to make sense that uh, even if it were true that 19 Arabs with box cutters had been responsible for, for this, the appropriate response was to declare war on the nation of Afghanistan and the the disproportionality and the futility of that kind of an approach is what struck me first. Um, uh, and um, so that came first and um, it fit in. It, I, just, I knew from that point on that things were in, going in a um, way that would not have a good ending, but the discovery of um, the events uh, the, you know, the science of 9-11 came, came much later. Really, and I was not active in the 9-11 Truth Movement until maybe three or four years ago, about the time that I met Jane uh, through um, our mutual contacts with architects and engineers 
for 9-11 truth. I, I'd like to just inter, insert here that um, sure. uh, you've got my back. You've got my background information up on the website, and I'm glad you did. But the only reason James is not there is because we, um, uh, sort of by accident, James had a very uh, interesting career herself, not only in law but uh, before that, and she's much more well versed in kind of the dark side of uh, American, you know, the antecedents of this than I. So uh, I hope that. Uh, an early occasion, we can hear a little more about her background and how she came to the story as well. Jane, uh, tell us a little bit about your background and how you got involved with the Architects for Engineers and 9-11. Okay, thank you. Well, I'm I'm uh, in Texas. My father is a retired Air Force colonel, and we landed oh, wow. here after he retired. And wow. uh, then I went to, to law school and came back here to uh, start practicing. I've been practicing since, oh, 19... 19- 82. So I'm a T-sipper, which is what you call when you go to the University of Texas, and also an Aggie, which means I went to Texas A&M University. <laughs> but, oh, wow. Um, so I've been practicing for quite a long time, and before before I became a lawyer, I was in the oil field with Hughes Tool, uh, which uh, when someone dared me, I couldn't go because I was a female, so I went. <laughs> uh, hmm. But I, I, I noticed the first time that I started watching the coverage of 9-11, that it just seemed like everything just fit into place, and they found everything so easily, uh, and they they blame everyone so quickly. It just it, it's impossible. Uh, mm-hmm. And when I saw uh, uh, Tom Daschle give a news conference, and it was pretty early. Uh, it was uh, pretty early on uh, after 9/11 that basically Cheney and Bush did not want to investigate it and had asked him several times not to start a congressional inquiry. Uh, that got my ears up. So I, like Bill, started uh, investigating and realized that, to me, they've crossed the line at this point uh, with killing Americans at this level. Uh, it's it's not that our government hasn't done some bad things they have, but this crosses the line big time. And so we started looking into it and realized that the story just doesn't hold up. Now, we have a president in place who I think, you know, he he's just the kind of guy who, who, who would ask some tough questions. And I think, you know, from what I'm hearing and what's flowing around the Internet, uh, there's, a, I, there's nothing official yet, but uh, looking at 9-11 again and doing another investigation, uh, I, I wouldn't think it's too far out of, out, of, out of bounds to think that Trump could call for one like that. <clears throat> he he might, possibly. It was his city, and I think he probably knows a lot more than we realize. Uh, it you know uh, I think that his city is important to him, and I think he's given indications in uh, different uh, news conferences during the campaign that he is interested in this. And there are YouTube there are YouTube clips of him being interviewed on 9/11 and shortly after for the next two or three years of him going on and on and on questioning the the, the controlled demolition look and feel of the buildings and all kinds of things. So Trump wasn't bashful about talking about 9/11. No, he wasn't. That's right. He was very That's open right. about it, and we're hoping he doesn't get too sidetracked and remembers his city and to investigate what happened because we don't believe what they told us. And really, the FBI has made yeah. a 
different statements about the fact that they don't really know quite sure if the names that they gave us were uh, the proper names because about several have shown up alive of the hijackers. Yeah, four uh, or five of the nine have shown up alive all over the world. That's correct. They've actually done interviews with them uh, on news, uh, other newspapers, I think newspapers, but it's it's you know the names that they have there. I've been to the Middle East several times, and and you can have that same name, you know, times ten. Uh, yeah. So it's it's hard to uh, really understand if we really had people on those planes or not. Uh, there's you know it's sad that the lay people out here in not a non-government has to have to do the investigation when our own government should have done it. But I do want to point out that when you give $16 million to an investigation, which it only starts out with $3 million initially, mm-hmm. and you've got 3,000 dead Americans, uh, that doesn't cut it when you spend 40, uh, 40 to $50 million on uh, water, whitewater for an investigation. Now, we're talking about 3,000 dead Americans. That's not right. Uh, there are just so many questions upon questions upon questions. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I think all of us on this call, we, we've covered 9-11 so much uh, that we, we don't want get, to get down about it, but uh, I'm glad that you guys tell us what is going on with the Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry and the Truth Action Project. And I know you guys had a symposium uh, which you presented at Bill last the uh, 9/11 of last year. You can talk about that as well. But when did this lawyers committee start, and who who convened it? Who who, who brought it together? Jane. Uh, the this actually started uh, at AE 9/11 with oh, a see. lady by the name of Susan Watkins, and she okay. was a paralegal out of California, and she uh, she asked the uh, uh, Richard Gage and their board uh, that she wanted to do this. Uh, she'd worked with lawyers for years, and so oh, yeah. she was actually the one that had, you know, helped gather the names that had signed the petition at AE 9/11, and started reaching out to attorneys. <coughs> so she's the oh, one I that see. actually uh, started it, and then uh, unfortunately she passed away, and we kept it going for. We started it in 2014. Oh, okay. Okay, so it's pretty new. <clears throat> wow. Yeah, it is. It's pretty new. Yeah, right. Early 2014 yeah. for about the last almost three years now. We've been now, Bill, you were one of the signatories to that uh, petition, right, Bill? And that's how you got involved. I, I was. I was. That's how we got involved. And um, I'd say that the both the Lawyers Committee and the separate organization called 9-11 Truth Action Project which are, uh, were actually born, they went public or they were launched the same day at that Justice and Focus conference. Uh, I think they represent a turn in from a turn in the truth movement at the time of its 15th anniversary that day in this sense that um, there's been a lot of um, investigation, speculation, murmuring, educational um, uh, DVD production, which is sure. really fantastic, that's been done. Considering that the government tried to has tried to cover this up so much, it's amazing how much um, we can know, or even when we we can't be sure of something, how um, how uh, you can have fairly rich theories and the potential to to, to prove cases. But um, I often compare those first 15 years to where we stand today with the 
Kennedy assassination. Yeah. Fifty-three years later, we know a lot. If you really want to take your, the time to um, read what's been done, you see that uh, contrary to what you think, if you read the mainstream media, media it's pretty on, on this subject. It would be, it's pretty uh, easy to start zeroing in on the at least the broad parameters of what happened to Kennedy. But um, I often thought, what would have happened if um, one or two years after the assassination, a national committee had been started? to demand a new investigation of the Kennedy assassination and hadn't been so con- so completely dedicated to proving it by themselves through all this wonderful work by the independent investigators, but had just uh, uh, said, we're not, you know, it's not up to us to solve it. We need to have it solved to our satisfaction, and we're not going to go away until it is solved, and we'll keep ratcheting up the pressure uh, until we get an answer that we, we are um, satisfied by. And uh, just how that would be done could be a long discussion, but that wasn't done. Instead, we we allowed the media to turn us, and they twisted and they shaped the issue. You know, was it? What about the magic bullet? Did Oswald act alone? Those were not the right questions. They weren't the right questions, and so we went off on this wonderful odyssey of private investigation. As I say, I'm all into it myself, but we didn't uh, stop at an early stage and say to ourselves and to one another, "Hey." Um, maybe we don't have all the answers, but we have a, we, we know enough to know that something stinks here. So we are not getting the full story. Something is being covered up, and that's not the way uh, America is supposed to be. It's not what our Constitution calls for. We're the ones who are supposed to to be. You know, this investigation has to be done to our satisfaction, not to be inflicted on us or imposed on us. And the investigation should satisfy our notion of justice and not um, and our, our sense of justice justice should not be shaped by propaganda and mass media to conform to what the authorities want to tell us so these two organizations that, we, that are formed now um, are um, less concerned with um, private investigation although obviously private investigation is a serious component of any litigation but more with mobilizing to um, pursue and demand um, not only truth, which perhaps could be done through private investigation, but uh, the legal action that should accompany truth. Um, That could come through the courts, could come through legislation, could come through politics. But um, uh, it's as we think about not only the crime itself, but the magnitude of the cover-up, Mm-hmm. And the, the and the institutions which protect even the cover-up today, uh, to me, those are actually more more impressive than the crime itself, which was pretty awful to begin with. And they tell us they, what they tell me is that simply understanding it and writing a great political science treatise on how it how it all came about isn't what we need. What we need is to um, um, basically form a base of civic power and a base of legal challenge to try to reaffirm the corrective forces which are inherent in our Constitution and our legal system, to try to rescue these before they're gone, to put them to work uh, with the goal of uh, uh, confirming that there were crimes uh, committed and that justice is done. And that's that's not a private research uh, um, project by itself. You know, uh in the introduction, Bill, I mentioned Bob Schultz and uh, Really People Foundation for Constitutional Education considered 
for a time uh, writing up a petition for redress of grievances on the 9-11 issue. Uh, and I, along with many other people, tried to interface with these various 9-11 groups, and it was next to impossible to get any one of them to cooperate with anyone else. Uh, they, mm-hmm. they were holding their facts and holding their research and holding their positions, uh, but wouldn't let uh, any third party try to get them together to even have the appearance of them talking to one another and agreeing on anything. So mm-hmm. it, was a, it was a real, real struggle, and I couldn't figure out why. why I mean, some of the foundational 9-11 truth uh, groups, uh, looking back, we realized that they were – uh, limited hangouts, or they were uh, they were infiltrated from the get go, or maybe they were organized opposition. I don't know what it, what you want to call it, but we just could get nowhere in communicating mm-hmm. and having them share information, having them you know submit an outline of the injustice or, or the facts as witness uh, to then present it to the government in a formal way in what's called a bill of particulars, where you mm-hmm. state you state a fact. Uh, and then it's either yes or no. If if the government responds no, they have to come up with a preponderance of facts that that uh, that counter the facts that are presented. Mm-hmm. And it would be listed as, as a very logical, rational uh, listing outline of, of uh, it's called a bill of particulars format. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it never well, got anywhere. Well, <laughs> right. well, we hope that um, as I say, the uh, approach we're taking now is. Is uh, if if we had been further along and you had been doing that reach, uh, outreach, uh, you would have gotten a different response from us. Um, and it's not too late in this sense. I would invite any lawyers out in the audience to contact the Lawyers Committee for 9/11 Inquiry. dot org and uh, join us because we are really looking for. We are doing research internally, and uh, we are embarking on the kind of fundraising that's needed to support litigation because actually. The more I've dealt with the other lawyers through our committee, the more apparent it becomes that um, uh, we simply have to staff this thing up to, so that it's a full-blown uh, public interest law firm specializing in the crimes associated with, um, with 9-11. So we're in the midst of uh, turning ourselves into professional fundraisers so that we can do that because volunteer lawyers can't really initiate and pursue litigation of this magnitude and of, sure. with this kind of uh, enemies behind it unless uh, – they can do it day in, day out, and be ready to respond to all the grief that's going to be coming their way. But yeah. uh, as far as uh, the uh, 9-11 TAP is concerned, uh, there I really encourage all your viewers to uh, to, to go to the 911tap.org website. Um, what you'll find there is an opportunity to, to sign our petition, um, which I encourage you to do, and I can hear groans in the audience, oh, no, not another petition. Uh, the difference about this petition is you're not really just signing a petition. You will be giving contact information, and we are trying to um, take a strategy of really building a grassroots organization um, that will be the basis for um, not being ignored in the future. Okay. Um, much as I uh, would have supported if I had been involved with it, the petition for the redress of grievances, uh, Jane can back me up on this, that um, – a legal action without grassroots support, without um, you know a really well mobilized, mobilized and powerful constituency, will probably um, not succeed. But it will succeed if it does have that. So the two things have to 
um, uh, proceed uh, together. And on the TAP side, my main focus in these last few months and will continue is to try to have a basically a volunteer management structure that can make sure that we accomplish two things, empowering uh, people in every town and city across the country through local truth action groups, but also uh, managing and coordinating them so that it's a combination of empowerment but directed energy. <laughs> Pardon that uh, that phrase, which has another context in, yeah. <laughs> in, in this field. I, I wasn't referring to that one. But directed Whoa. energy of a non-nuclear variety. That, um, yeah. And uh, that's really a, a matter of... Um, civic organization. We have the structure in place. The other night we had a meeting of our regional coordinators who are now being fed lists of the petition signers in their area. The petition signers have indicated what areas they would like to contribute their talents in, and we're in the process of forming committees to mobilize those people. We've got about uh, 90 people who want to be involved in working for a truth-friendly Congress, for example. Uh, no, sorry, that's a smaller number now, about 60. And that 90 or so people have recently checked boxes that they want to work on promoting truth-friendly media, like what you're doing tonight, Fred. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, just, I mean, those numbers will grow by a factor of 10, I'm sure, in the, over the next uh, few months, if not by a factor of 100. But uh, people with that kind of energy, if we channel it into that, I think we can start to be in a place where something like a petition for a redress of grievances or other remedies, which uh, Jay can speak to, um, can, um, can, uh, can't be ignored. Jane, I'm, I'm interested in, in, in hearing your opinion, uh, and, and you too as well, Bill. Uh, with Trump uh, rising into the consciousness of, of, of Americans and globally mankind, <laughs> I mean, he comes up with one-liners. <laughs> Last Monday, before the inauguration, when he pointed at that CNN guy and said, you were fake news, fake news is a phrase just exploded on the Internet. <laughs> Well, wasn't 9-11 the ultimate in fake news? <laughs> it was. It was. But I do think that we have enough significant evidence now to, uh, you know, to approach a, a, a federal inquiry, which I mm-hmm. believe it's going to be. Uh, it could be a state inquiry, too. There was people from many states and many countries that uh, were murdered. <laughs> and so uh, that that is a state crime. Uh, but a federal crime, there's enough evidence now to present to a grand jury, which we would hope that the government would listen to us on the presence mm-hmm. of the World Trade Center dust that had high-tech you know, tech explosives in it. Um, and, the, uh, you know, we've had, we have several peer, peer-reviewed uh, articles on that now. Uh, firefighters, police officers, other witnesses that uh, were near the World Trade Center that uh, reported and heard explosions, they're just multiple, multiple, um, you know, testimonies of that. The New York Times sure. actually did a FOIA action, and and that is online all their all their testimony. Uh, so that that's something that is available, and we have expert opinions of qualified physicists uh, that are concluding that based on the technical analysis of the video evidence that uh, the collapses could not have fallen. Uh, by fire, uh, but uh, fell in a free fall, you know, speed that uh, would be scientifically impossible without demolition. Uh, so we, we, there's there's several different you know aspects that we think that a grand jury should look at, and there's enough evidence for at least uh, a grand jury to to open up to that. Uh, it would be rather uh, 
we've heard of uh, the possibility of a people's grand jury, but where does that get you? Uh, yeah. We need actually people that are in a real grand jury, whether it's federal or state, uh, because they have the subpoena power. They have the power to uh, subpoena witnesses, to subpoena material. And that was not sufficiently done on the 9-11 Commission, nor was it sufficiently done in the congressional hearings. Um, so we we actually have two two separate entities that did reports on 9-11, and I don't think people realize that, but the Congress did, though they did not for, uh, finish everything they needed to, and that's why you see Bob Graham down in Florida going around like crazy saying the FBI has 80,000 documents on this family down in uh, Florida, and where are they? I want to see them. So that's yeah. being reviewed by a federal judge now as well. Uh, so we have the presence also of the molten metal microspheres that uh, was clearly seen in the World Trade Center dust as well. Uh, and there's just uh, a lot of evidence now the grand jury could really bite on and start if uh, we can get either the federal or the state courts, the state government to do it. And what Bill is doing is so important, uh, because I'll tell you right now, and and Bill will probably concur with me on that, as an attorney, judges and courts, they change when the public opinion changes, but not before that, unfortunately. So where is the the chicken and the egg effect here? I mean, uh, we've heard from many people on this call over the years that accessing the grand jury is next to impossible for the average for the public to do and that uh, that 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 those people have been uh basically controlled by you know the senior prosecutors the federal prosecutors mm-hmm. or the state prosecutors that uh, that uh, become the the gatekeeper uh why why can't we as a people uh Submit facts to a grand, approach the grand jury and, and 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 get information about wrongdoing about what we've witnessed into the hands of grand jurors. Well, why is that so? That's impossible in this day and age. Well, a, a grand jury is is usually uh, is uh, private. In other words, you can, it's not open to the public. Sure. Uh, you're not really allowed to get a grand jury tra- transcript. Uh, but it it has to commence with a prosecutor. Uh, there there has to be. Uh, enough evidence that a prosecutor has to go forward, and that's what, what we're hoping to, to put together with a uh, – we're working on a petition to approach both the federal and the state levels uh, in, in a manner that would hopefully uh, get them interested to start, because someone's got to pay for the grand jurors, they've got to pay for the subpoenas, they've got to pay for uh, lots and lots of stuff that has to go on if they're going to convene it. Uh, so that's uh, and then then it, it, if a grand jury does uh, get to a point where they they have to be uh, free and open in the grand jury to consider all types of information. So we can't just walk into a grand jury and listen to what they're doing. It's a yeah. it's a completely confidential uh, uh, situation. And I guess an example is uh, some attorneys in the past that have gotten a hold of grand jury transcripts have been prosecuted. So you you can't do that. Wow. Uh, so that that's what we're hoping uh, to get in the hands of a uh, either a special grand jury that can be appointed by the president, or, or through uh, you know through the federal uh, U.S. Attorney's Office, or a state. Uh, in the JFK 
assassination. We had one brave guy down in Louisiana that did that. Uh, and he actually had his office bugged by the FBI and God knows who else. Uh, so, you know, it's it's a it's a courageous thing for a prosecutor to do, but they will get catch a lot of flack. Yeah, I think it's a good it's a good case. Let's think about Jim Garrison in, in, in yeah, New Jim Orleans. Yeah, Jim Garrison, that's the guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah let's, let's let's think about that. If you know, with the benefit of hindsight, this is hindsight is easy, right? But we should have been there for Jim Garrison when he undertook that. Um, he uh, he was a good a good lawyer. He had good evidence. He was doing what he was supposed to do, and he was getting creamed by the media. Imagine if we had had a, a national organization at that point committed um, to doing what he was doing. If he wasn't just the DA of New Orleans, but he was with a an organization backed by a strong. He was with a public interest law firm, even although the DA yeah. is a good place to actually do this. But if he was backed by grassroots. Uh, organizations in every one of our 435 congressional districts. And if he was backed by an organization that was aware of the power of the media, so that when the media started saying that he was a drunk or he was an alcoholic or he was a, a um, you know, a, a grandstander, yeah. uh, he would have been able to get his information out through media like yours, through other, through, through many media like yours across the country, hundreds, thousands of such media. It would have been repeated in living rooms all across the country, and he would have had his story out. We, they would have all had their copy of the New York Times out, and they would have been comparing him, and people would have gotten angry. And yeah. they couldn't have gotten away with doing to him what they did to him. And so we need, if that could happen with such, such perfection, if he could have been done in with such incredible skill and silenced with such expertise, we should learn from that. First place, it should tell us something about what forces can be mobilized to carry out such a comprehensive scheme? If that could happen 50 years ago and it wasn't they called on, they destroyed him. They just they smeared him. They destroyed his reputation. But still, he was able to get a lot of facts into the public record. Yeah, that's he right. did, and yes. he did. And I'm not uh, knocking him. Obviously, quite the opposite. But the point was simply that I mean, we're at a stage now, years later, where there was a congressional investigation, the Church Commission. They did find that there was governmental involvement in that assassination, and yet today people still talk about the Warren Commission as if that was the definitive thing. How, the Bible. Could, that mis, how could that misinformation and that misperception be so pervasive? It's not because people are stupid. It really isn't. It's because of the flow of information and how it's managed. So I, mean, you can, I don't want to go off on the conspiracy theories of how that occurred, sure. but we can see that something was happening beyond um, merely um, uh, you know, a, a lawyer providing an, an objective uh, making it a, an objective uh, appeal to a, a local grand jury or something. So we need to be cognizant of those forces, and we need to be able to uh, offset them so that a, an, an attorney or a group of attorneys can, can do their work. As Jane said, they can't, they can't do it alone. But I also think that a, that a grassroots organization, I can't say they can't do it alone, but legal guidance is important because the courts do have power under the law, and um, they may not be using it, they may be afraid to use it, uh, who knows what their reasons are for covering up a lot of cases, but faced by both good lawyering and strong um, and mobilized and determined public opinion, and with a type of media, you know, with, with a substitute for the current media, which we can create, and people like you are creating, uh, we can keep the information flowing to keep the pressure building 
and to make the legal system work. At the end of the day, we want a legal system that works. And if we had a legal system yeah. that was working fully in this kind of case, we wouldn't be having this conversation today. That's correct. Uh, Jane, uh, Bill, you can comment, but uh, <clears throat> what if a cause of action was initiated? You were able to get a special prosecutor to initiate uh, something. Uh, but the larger picture of protection could come from a simple decision to ensure that the proceedings are are available on a live stream basis when anything happens uh you know have the cameras rolling have it filmed have it have, have it have it public is is uh cuz the more light you shine on this issue you bring forth facts you bring forth logical arguments and uh you lay that out there and then the other side doesn't respond or comes up with 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 uh I think people want to see that give and take, that real uh, in-the-moment give and take uh, from a legal perspective on this issue. Well, I think they, I think they, they do too. And in any courtroom, really, in uh, any of the states or the federal, you can go in there and sit and watch what's going on. Now, if it depends on the judge, the judge may decide to uh, put a ban on it. Uh, he's, he's allowed to do that, uh, depending on the circumstances, but. Um, I've even sent a letter to Oliver Stone hoping he would do something on 9-11 like he did on JFK <laughs> because that's really what tipped the scale uh, in, uh, in his his uh, JFK movie was based on Jim Mars' book Crossfire, the plot that killed oh. Kennedy. And he's one of our local uh, journalists down here in Texas. But, yeah. uh, that's what really opened up the second congressional hearing on the JFK assassination, which they did conclude uh, that there was most likely a conspiracy to kill the president, which means more than one person. More than one shooter. And Mm -hmm. all we hear every year is the Warren Commission. That is Mm -hmm. not the last word. The last word was the Congressional uh, Commission after that movie. Uh, So it's you know the the media is is powerful. You know if we could get a producer in in Hollywood to open that up and do something like he did, which we love to ask him to do it. <laughs> we already have. Uh, we haven't heard from him, but we yeah. we do hope uh, his son Sean Stone does does cover a lot of information on 9/11 on his uh, his show. So we're you know we're hoping what Bill is doing is very important. Uh, that's not something Jim Garrison had back then, and so that's why that that is going forward. Just like what we're trying to do, which is create a petition that a a, pro, a real prosecutor could look at, both in the federal and state level. Uh, we're filing. We have FOIA actions. I think about 25. One is one is in court in D.C. now, uh, and that has to do with the FEMA records. Because we can't really get all the FEMA records, <laughs> if you can believe oh that. Oh my God! Uh, so that's that's open to FOIA. The, that's the Freedom of Information sure. uh, Act, and uh, they're they're not all the information is still not available, not even to researchers. And what we're what we've seen in the federal courts up in New York, as you all know, about 100 people did uh, did not take the government uh, payout. Uh, which, you know, to me, it's crazy. We have the government offering people, which I'm glad that the families got money. Yeah. But, but the government is giving them money when 
don't we need to look for who did this first to pay for it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, but the taxpayers are paying for it. I'm totally happy the victims have money. They, their families need money. Uh, they've lost their loved ones. But we need we we the the every case that went up into the uh, Southern District of New York, the federal courts, not one single case had discovery that was available to it. In other words, not we one had, we, single case, not, not one single uh, uh, of the family victims. Yeah, uh, we see some discovery in uh, the case against Iran and Iraq, <laughs> okay. and uh, we see that uh, in that case. And all and that people don't know, all the cases must go to the Southern District of New York. Now, now, why do they have to go there? They have to go there because 11 days after 9/11. The Transportation Stabilization Act was packed. Eleven days. Okay, I don't know who got this ready so fast. Uh, and it was by a single senator out of, I believe it was Arizona. What it said in that Transportation Act, because they they were worried about the airlines going bankrupt and we have a disaster on our hands for transportation. That was part of it. But in that document, that act, 11 days after 9-11, it mandated that any case that dealt with 9-11 had to go to New York and had to go to a specific uh, area of the federal court. That's the Southern District of New York. Nowhere else. We had cases filed in the Gallup case down in the Pentagon. It got transferred to New York. Anything relating to 9-11 gets transferred to New York, that one specific federal court area. So we had a high... high uh, high professional uh, mediator that basically mediated out all the uh, victims' families' cases mm-hmm. at that time. They all got sealed except one. We do know about that one because I guess the judge got mad at her and unsealed it. Uh, and so we do know about it. And when they and a lot of these cases were against airlines, against uh, you know different entities, uh, security companies, uh, and we do we don't know what those settlements really are because they're mm-hmm. sealed. We just know about one, and mm-hmm. that was the Mariana case. So, uh, unfortunately, when you settle a case uh, and you seal it, well, what happened? Well, we don't know. We don't have any discovery that was actually done in that case. We don't have depositions. We don't have interrogatories. We don't have, you know, requests for production of documents. Uh, they all got settled. <clears throat> the Mariana case, uh, there is there is documents, though, right? No, we have the settlements. We have the settlements. Oh, just the settlements. You don't have anything more than that? No, sir, we do not. Oh, my God. No, we do not. Oh. Uh, and and uh, interesting to me, uh, because we, we, we do have one of the lawyers that was on that case, um, her settlement sued about five entities. Uh, airlines, and I, I can't remember exactly what else. I could look it up real quick if we needed to. Mm-hmm. But when she settled, when the case was settled, and this was settled by a court-appointed uh, probate administrator, it wasn't settled by Mariana. Uh, she okay. really wanted to go forward, but the probate court in her husband's estate uh, appointed a court-appointed administrator for her husband's estate. So she didn't even oh. have a say-so in that. Uh, but the the settlement settled the case against the five entities, but not only the five entities, but
but about a list of about almost 100 other entities that she never sued. Wow. How can you settle against the parties that were, were never part of the lawsuit? That's what the judge did. If it was a different type of litigation, uh, say uh, uh, somebody got shot and there were witnesses and people who were who might have were persons of interest, if somebody was going around um, making those people sign statements that they uh, uh, wouldn't come to court, they wouldn't exercise their rights, and they'd be silent about their testimony. You know, the, the the outcome would be the outcome of the trial would be suspect. In this case, no one, as Jane says, no one can question the importance of having provided compensation to the families. But um, to to bar them completely from the legal process and to to um, prohibit discovery really did not do the country much uh, of a service and. When we think of all the monies that insurance companies paid out too, you know, yeah. if, you're inv- if you're involved in a car accident for a couple thousand dollars, you, you you quickly get a sense that the insurance company is looking to see where they can recoup that money from. And in this case, I guess they just got did they recoup it from the federal government? But they really, you know, the the, the infusion of that kind of uh, money just uh, meant that none of the possible issues of um, uh, liability or contribution just were never, were never raised. Well, there were some lawsuits that the insurance companies and the, and the uh, uh, reinsurance companies brought too, and and we've been trying uh, really hard to get some of those uh, depositions that were done, and that had to do with some people that were around 9/11 that were right on the scene that either were you know uh, authorities, port authorities, or uh, were involved somehow in either the cleanup or when it happened, uh, and they're sealed, too, the depositions. We're not allowed to see Oh, my them. God. Mm-hmm. It's like one big black hole. <laughs> <laughs> it's like one big sealed hole. That's correct. <laughs> so black hole that's been sealed. There's a lot of research to still be done, but they're, they're, yeah. what I noticed in the, the federal cases is you have these experts that came forward on, well, how did this happen? How did this happen? Well, they all said we're basing our opinion on uh, what we know of the information that we've received, but we are making a caveat here, and that caveat is we don't have all the underground documents and information from FEMA or from NIST, and they referred to NIST, we, uh, from NIST to be able to com- complete our opinions. Those caveats are, are in most of the expert witnesses' uh, affidavits. So that's so why they were they were asking NIST and FEMA for additional documentation and support, but that was never forthcoming. So that that's caveat correct. had to remain. That's correct. <clears throat> wow. Which is why you can't get anything from FEMA today, right? Well, we're I, we're confident that we will be able to get more and more information. We've um, Okay. Through the lawsuit, which uh, you know is still pending in D.C. right now, we're hoping that um, they have sent some things, but we're, that lawsuit is continuing. Okay. Yeah. Hey, Bill, take us to uh, the Cooper Union uh, last last fall. 
how, how did that go? Okay, sure. Well, first, again, let me make it clear that uh, Jane was there on the day is with me. Um, there were two days uh, of this presentation called Justice and Focus, and your your listeners can listen to the whole transcript um, by uh, looking up justiceandfocus.org. I think you'll mm-hmm. see a request for a small contribution to architects and engineers, but sure. um, it's going to be a pretty small one, and you can get 16 hours of hearings. I've talked to been talking with several people who've called us after that. At least several people have told me they've listened to the whole thing five times over. They were so fascinated by it. Um, so, uh, and uh, these are people who were um, uh, were making a major commitment to our organization as volunteers as a result. But um, the um, first day uh, was kicked off by Judge Ferdinando Imposimato, who uh, is uh, the honorary president of the uh, Italian Supreme Court. Um, and Judge Imposimato is, was involved in, uh, I think, the only real uh, serious prosecution of something called Operation Gladio, um, uh, which basically uh, was a CIA um, undercover effort to destabilize the Italian government uh, so that uh, people would, uh, by creating phony left-wing incidents, so people would vote right-wing. And it's got a long history, which I won't attempt to go into. But sure. uh, his brother his brother was, I believe, killed as a part of this, and there were a lot of judges and prosecutors who were murdered in the course of this. But uh, Judge Imposimato's sure. work uh, was really the, the only case of... Um, documenting a CIA effort to conduct false flag operations to destabilize a, a, a government of, a, of an ally, of, of a member of NATO. So wow. he, he uh, talked and, about and Bill, that. Bill, can you, can you put a yes. timeline on that? We really didn't know about Operation Gladio until toward the end of 19, the 1990s. So that really wasn't that long ago. Wow. Uh, yeah, and of course his investigations were going on in the 80s and 90s, I believe, but uh, I don't remember the exact date that he... He came public with it, but the European Union, European Parliament recognized it, sent some angry letters to the United States, the United States ignored it, and basically um, uh, whatever prosecution took place, it took place on the Italian end while uh, American perpetrators were probably mostly gotten out of the, were gotten out of the country. But um, So that was a, a start off. I don't recall the exact order of the panels, but we had an attorney who um, um, was present in the Riyadh consular office uh, um, Trying to um, having his rejections of visas to uh, uh, some applicants being overridden by the CIA, so that people with uh, very dodgy backgrounds could get into the country, and they were apparently part of uh, the whole Al Qaeda network that we were working with. Our government was working with That was in Riyadh. They were Riyadh. Saudi Arabia. Oh, Riyadh. Sorry, it was no, it wasn't Riyadh. It was Jeddah. You're right, Jeddah. Jeddah, Jeddah. So this attorney, Michael Springman, has written a book about. That and you know again these are things. It's evidence by itself, but it also really ought to provoke outrage. Why does each not one of, of the each? Why does not each revelation of that kind trigger, you know, a, a kind of spasm in the whole body politic that says I want this resolved? And on the contrary, these things that there seems to be a major effort to cover them up, which is what should uh, make us most. Uh, uh, which should drive us more to action, not into despair. So that was one panel. There was, um, what did Barbara talk about, uh, Jane? That was, Barbara uh, has studied the uh, Pentagon. Barbara, this is Barbara Honecker. Yes, uh-huh. Did she find a plane? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I, I think her her last uh, conclusion on that is that she believes it was a smaller plane, not the the plane that they alleged, and that it okay. uh, was a military plane uh, that was maybe a drone. Or a drone, a drone. yep, missile, yeah, something like that. Wow. And uh, yep. But she she actually does believe, uh, and she has interviewed uh, April Gallup, who was, uh, had just gotten to her desk when uh, uh, she punched the first button on her uh, computer. Uh, she <clears throat> heard bombs go off, mm-hmm. and uh, so she's she's also interviewed her, and we'd be glad to you know forward that interview if y'all would like to read it. Uh, and so we, we you know she she thought. And there was many people that said they smelled things that smelled like bombs uh, okay. when that were there. So I think it's a combination uh, that we're looking at at the Pentagon. At the conference, Jane, wasn't she talking mostly about uh, anthrax? Yeah, she she's also studying that too. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Another one of the attorneys that we correspond with, Barry Kissin, also Kissin is also. Uh, has looked into that in great detail, and we've actually uh, talked to the uh, Bill has talked to the uh, FBI uh, lead investigator on that government anthrax uh, investigation. Mm-hmm. But the, the one thing I'd bring out about Barbara's uh, comments, it, this again it shows the transition that I feel we're making in the movement. There is a lot, there has been a lot of discussion about what exactly happened at the at the, the Pentagon. Barbara has one interpretation. Other people in our organization have another interpretation. But what really unites us and what brought Barbara and us together that day is um, the growing conviction that it's not up to us to prove exactly what happened there um, as if uh, we were adversaries of the government. We, we, need, we have a right to have full disclosure of, of all the facts and the real question is, why are these things being made so difficult to solve? Why is information being withheld? Why, you know, why haven't we been just deluged with information, which we have not been? On the contrary, so that's where Barbara and we really um, come together, um, and um, that's true of um, um, other many other of the um, evidentiary questions. I mean, we, we we don't know everything. If we knew everything, that would mean the government had been really forthcoming and provided us with the opportunity to interrogate um, persons of interest and so on, and that has not, has not happened. Our keynote speaker for really both days was uh, Attorney Daniel Sheehan, who um, uh, is probably one of the foremost um, uh, litigators, uh, and the public interest litigators in the history of the, the country, really. He, uh, he was involved with the Pentagon Papers case as, as a primary litig- uh, you know, litigator. He was involved with, he, he handled the Karen Silkwood case, um, yeah. He um, was involved in the um, um, Three Mile Island. Uh, what Iran am I forgetting? Uh, well, the, his biggest thing was the Iran Contra uh, um, uh, case, which uh, he pushed to the point where it uh, forced the appointment of a special prosecutor. And uh, he's written a lengthy book on the subject called uh, The People's Advocate, which I recommend that people uh, read. But uh, he has done more than I think anyone else to really uh, try to analyze where the forces from whence from whence all this came, and uh, he uh, has stitched together all of these episodes into um, a career of uh, litigation that is really quite impressive. So we were very happy to have him 
first wow. uh, uh, first make a, a presentation, which I encourage your viewers to listen to in the Justice in Focus transcript. And then on the second day uh, which um, uh, of the conference, he uh, the second day was really sponsored by the Lawyers Committee for, for 9-11 Inquiry. And uh, Shea and, and Judge Imposizimato and several other attorneys um, constituted a panel, really, to listen to evidence provided by Richard Gage and a team of uh, architects that he assembled, and uh-huh. the uh, and Dr. Halsey from the University of Alaska who's doing a, uh, a computer simulation of the collapse of World Trade Center 7, yeah. and uh, uh, Graham McQueen, who's r- written a, uh, his uh, study of the interviews of 118 firemen who heard explosions, so all of this evidence was presented as if it were a grand jury. And uh, at the end of that uh, presentation, oh, uh, Stan, the, the master litigator, asked the question of, I think it was of, of um, Dr. Halsey. Uh, well, Halsey was, a, his model, of course, is a reputation of the National Institute of Standards and Technologies. Um, yes, yep. So-called study uh, of the uh, collapse of the, of the towers. He, he basically said, if your graduate student had pro- provided you with a report similar to this $40 million in this study, uh, how would you have responded? And he said, I would have flunked him. And uh, when asked to comment on the uh, the um, official version that flowed, that was enunciated by NIST about these collapses, uh, he was asked on a scale of zero to 100, uh, what credibility would you give to this, this study? And he said, zero based on the simulations which they have been uh, working out and 40 years of experience in studying um, high-rise buildings and steel structures and their, you know, how they withstand various stresses. So it was a pretty impressive uh, performance, and any question about whether we have enough evidence to proceed was pretty well answered that day, and the Lawyers Committee Board, in fact, took a vote uh, at that time, saying that they, they resolved to go out and try and raise the funds necessary to undertake um, litigation on the uh, based on the evidence that was presented. So um, this wow, is why that's pretty uh, we're exciting. Ha- yeah, yeah. So uh, to have a person of Shane's uh, acumen there kind of reinforces what uh, a, a lot of us, uh, including I'm sure many in your audience, uh, know from their um, you know own gut reaction to what they have seen on television and. Um, so the question really is, can we uh, mobilize enough as a society to um, do more than uh, kind of shake our hand, heads in disgust and point a finger of blame? I think one thing we're trying to do is to, you know, it's um, we often ask the question, who was responsible? There's a lot of different answers that can be given, but the most uh, worthwhile one, I think, to give is to point the finger at ourselves and say, we essentially have allowed this to happen. Not that any of us went out and acquiesced in blowing up the World Trade Center and the Pentagon, sure. but but we have allowed um, uh, government we've allowed and, the media, we've allowed and the media to, to cover up as well. We've allowed it to happen and we've allowed the cover-up as well. So uh, we are at a stage where at least we can protest the cover-up. I mean, at the very least, we can do that. And uh, if we can effectively protest the cover-up, we can do the rest. But it requires organization and um you know, various times in our history, things reached an impasse, and it took mass organization to change them. And uh, I think it won't – we're not at a point where it's easy to visualize, you know, people marching in the streets over this, 
But it is easy for me to imagine, because I know it's happening already, people gathering in living rooms and talking about this and deciding to go out and get more people to sign the, the TAP petition so that we can expand those the number of living rooms where this takes place or the number of library meeting rooms which have people to come together to see one of the DVDs that all of us on this listing tonight yeah. uh, have, have seen and who can take up a collection of necessary for the lawyers committee so we can um, pay some litigators to go to, 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 you know, to put their lives on the line because they would be putting their lives on the line to do this. Um, so uh, there are things we can do now. And uh, uh, I'm, I, it's a gratifying situation to be in as we try to build this kind of volunteer organization to find that the grassroots is pushing us uh, as volunteer leaders to do more than we can do. And the solution to it is to get more volunteers to step up into volunteer management positions so that we can achieve this balance of empowerment and, uh, and mobilization. And if we can do that, uh, it's, what, it's what it's going to take because Congress could have done this. Congress is in, is in charge of doing this. The Constitution requires them to do it. They didn't do it. The courts were mandated, are, are, have, ample, have had ample opportunity to do this you know, in the abstract, but they haven't done it. So if we as people don't do it uh, and avail ourselves of the rights that we say we, we cherish, uh, we won't do it either, and those rights will be uh, a dead letter. So it's really time for us to get on the phone and support these uh, these kinds of efforts. The efforts are really not my efforts, they're not Jane's efforts. They're the efforts of um, either they'll be the efforts of the American people or they won't succeed. And um, when we talk with people who do respond to this, it's really very humbling and very uh, inspiring to see um, how from all walks of life, from prestigious architects and lawyers to uh, people in all walks of life, housewives, nurses, building people, military people, they, 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 they do want to do something and they've been looking for a framework in which they can be connected with one another. One last thing, I'm sorry, I'm rambling a little bit here, but I, 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 I've had to think about this a bit. Um, I think... Uh, a lot of people know about this. We know that, um, uh, well, Architects and Engineers has a supporters list of 50,000 people. We know that when Richard Gage of Architects and Engineers presented uh, on C-SPAN, uh, 400,000 people have downloaded his remarks, which makes it about the fifth most downloaded uh, program in C-SPAN history. When wow. our Colorado group put together with the Architects and Engineers a, uh, a video um, uh, and presented it on Colorado Public TV. Uh, it, it was subsequently available to download from national uh, PBS, I believe, and a million people downloaded that. And um, they wow. just did it again. And they did a second film. On, it's still available on Colorado Public TV free. And it's the best fundraiser that they, they, that uh, Colorado Public TV has had. Uh, they, they raised more money with that than any other, I think, uh, fundraising event they've, they, they've gotten. So... Uh, put all this together, there are thousands, somewhere, there are probably five or 6,000 people in every congressional district who have taken the trouble to download something that's about an hour long, and if they took the trouble to download it, they've probably seen it. And that doesn't count the 30 or 40 million people who've seen films like um, Loose Change. Um, sure. So a lot of people know this, and the remarkable thing is that I think that so many people uh, know it, but they also think they're the only person in the world who knows it, them and whoever made that video they saw on, on the Internet. So one of the things we're trying to do through both of our efforts, uh, both these organizations, is to overcome that sense of isolation because it's, it's like learned helplessness. It's like learned isolation. We've been taught yeah. that if you, if you want to talk about this, and how many times have you spoken to someone and watched them look over their shoulder as if there, there was a thought policeman in the room? You exactly. Know, in the 
you know, and, and, and uh, you know, that's, that's so true, Bill, yeah. because I, I uh, met, met with one of the girls that was a, what had made it out of the towers in New York last October. She was afraid mm-hmm. at first to tell me who she was. Uh, and of course I won't mention her name. Uh, but she, she said, uh, she still works for the, the state government. Uh, she said she feels, uh, still traumatized and she feels that possibly people are watching her. So what that told me was the people in New York are still traumatized by what happened, and that was last fall that I heard this. Uh, wow. so, so the people don't know what to do. If they can get behind TAP, they can get behind the lawyers group, because we, we spoke to Sheehan, who did the Iran-Contra case down in Florida in federal court, and that was the whole stimulus for the congressional hearings that followed thereafter. And that resulted in several people, uh, uh, actually it resulted in, uh, it resulted in a, a lot of exposure uh, through the congressional uh, hearing. But what Sheehan told us is, if you want to get anywhere with this, you need $10 million at least. So, so we, we have to have help. Uh, he had five or six uh, investigators. These things cost money. Um, if they want to know the truth, it costs money. And uh, we, ha- we have to get some financial help from the people out there. Mm-hmm. But we shouldn't be frightened off by a number. It's, it, it, it's, uh, if uh, enough people uh, uh, join in, this will um, take off. We just started a, this petition drive just a few weeks ago, um, and it's really gathering momentum both on the streets and in, through, through various Facebook channels. And uh, we're up over 800 people, and 750 or something the other day. And I think they're all streaming across my my uh, email list as they come in. It's kind of amazing. I always look to take I take a peek to see where the people are that are that are that are signing this. So the, there's definitely a momentum, but it's a momentum that if we can make it a geometric progression. Uh, oh, you you people, have to blow you, this thing yeah. up much bigger, guys. You got you. This thing has to be thousands and thousands, and. Uh, I, I mean, this, this thing has, I mean, it, 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 all it would take is uh, some big name to utter some phrase like Donald Trump did with the birth certificate. Where's the birth certificate? <laughs> and, and like the Pentagon, where are the videotapes? You know, something that presses yeah, the where button are the 85 simplifies. Huh? Where are the 85 videotapes that we can't 85 get? videotapes, where are they? <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I might say that there's international efforts as well that are going on. Uh, William Pepper was uh, our, our, our uh, master of ceremonies at the, at the uh, Justice and Focus, and he's an international lawyer. He ha- he's a, a, for human rights, and he's, he's rather famous too. Uh, he's actually the attorney for Sirhan Sirhan right now, but he also oh, wow. uh, represented the Martin Luther King family for a long time and, and many other things that he's done. Uh, but he's all, also an English barrister, so he has uh, interests uh, that he's working on in uh, over in Europe. Uh, we know there's things Judge Posimato is doing as well that we can't really discuss. But yeah. there, there, the Europe is uh, it, there. There's been quite a few comments out of Europe from some of the leaders there that we don't believe you, <laughs> America, with the story that you told us. So they, they, they are interested too in inquiries, and we are working on FOIAs on their reports that have not been released as well on 9-11. Mm-hmm. 
Bill and Jane, before we wrap it up, can we open it up for a few comments and questions from our listeners? Sure. Yeah, Fred, we have a large group uh, on our on our telephone and on TalkShoe. No, and so no, we we like to get to at least a few. Uh, you want to go ahead, Dee Dee, and and point the way. Uh, uh, no, I well, the only thing I would comment on really quickly is is are you guys familiar with Stephen Bolin's work on solving nine eleven? Have you have you seen that book? Yes, it's Chris Bolin. Oh, mm-hmm. good. I, I figured you would. He's been on our call a few times. And um, I would suggest that um, we start with Betty. Betty, do you have a question? Well, I'd just like to make a comment that uh, we we need to do this to, just for all the people that su- have suffered so horribly and they're still suffering, they're still dying, families are have been torn apart. They had to wait for how many years before they even could get insurance. They're still looking for 30000 people that worked on the pile down there that maybe they don't know they have insurance and they're trying to find all those people. And there's a figure of 400,000 that they expect, that they think that's how many have suffered with the, uh, what is that, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. And there's like, uh, I mean, it's into the thousands. I mean, so many times we, we talk about 9/11, 9/11, uh, the the towers coming down, and three three thousand lost their lives. It's hardly ever mentioned the huge amount of lives that have been affected by this. So mm-hmm. we we've got to set a little bit of time each day away and somehow support what 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 the the lawyers committee is trying to do. Mm-hmm. We did it. We did it with Russo's film. There's no reason why we can't come together and do something for this. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. And Betty, thank you for for making the the effort to encourage us to to have to have uh, Bill on Bill. And and thank you, Jane, for coming on the call. Betty was the one, the instigator here. <laughs> thank you, Betty. Thank you. I'm always the instigator, <laughs> right, Fred? <laughs> Betty, Betty, Betty's a troublemaker. Yeah, we count, we count on that. We we count on that. <laughs> well, one of my nicknames, and, and and I won't say who, I was always called the Bulldog. Bulldog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good. Good. Yeah. Well, well, Betty, Betty, tell uh, tell uh, Bill what your birthday is. Nine eleven. Oh my God. Your birthday is nine eleven, guys. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> you need to be here for sure. You will live that one down. Uh, Betty is Thank here, you, I'll Betty. tell you. Anybody else? Anybody else go to star six or phone? Chime yeah, we got, we got quite a few people on, so give them a chance to star six to unmute. I think it's star six. So if yep. you'd like to unmute your phone, uh got quite yeah. a few callers on TalkShoe and the regular call. Yep. Hey, uh, this is Sam from Pennsylvania. Uh, uh, Bill, I, I see you have a Pittsburgh connection. You went to Duquesne Law School and Katz Business I did. School. Yeah, I'm from Pittsburgh area. Great, not, was, the, not, not the business school, but the, the uh, Duquesne Law School and the and Gispia, the School of Public and International Affairs. Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. Did you were you there when Sam Astorino was at uh, uh, Duquesne Law School? Does that ring a name? I don't ring a bell. No, it doesn't. It does not ring a bell. Okay. Uh, but yeah, he was a long, long time he went ago. To law school. He was head uh-huh. of the history department at uh, at Duquesne University. Then he went into law school. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Well, yeah. I, uh, I, I, oh, I, I, I can tell you since our since our uh, justice and focus event, 
been getting a lot of calls from Pittsburgh, and there's a good cell, cell a good, a good local action group forming there in Pittsburgh and in other parts of uh, of uh, the state. So um, if you get in touch with us through our website, you'll find that you are not alone <laughs> on yeah. 9-11 if you thought that before. Yeah, yeah we, we've had people on for 9-11, uh, you know. Uh, but uh, now, uh, I, I saw that the architects and engineers for 9-11, and the building, all three buildings were blown up. Uh, according to what I've read and what I've, and uh, the planes didn't bring down the buildings, so mm-hmm. all three buildings were blown up. So who planted the explosives? Or I don't know mm-hmm. if you agree with that. <laughs> well, uh, Jane, you're, you're you know how to handle evidence better than me, but obviously, I, well, I don't actually, think they were um, the there, there. There was a union uh, member of Union 94 that was on a radio show up in Woodstock, New York. And Union 94 in New York is the uh, union members that take care of the equipment and all the high-rises. And he was specifically assigned to the World Trade Center. Uh, he said about late, late spring, early summer, and it was right around the time when the... Uh, Ownership of the buildings was changing uh, uh, at uh, in New York. Uh, he said there was a group of men that they were told not to log in or to log out, and it was on the the very latest night shift uh, that they were doing work around the electrical boxes, which were located close to the elevators. He said we don't. He said I wasn't on that shift. But it was talked about a lot in our union, uh, in our union meetings. And he said that is a liability when you, uh, we, 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 he said we were required to go to the different, uh, when, when a contractor came in to do some work, we had to escort them to their location. We may have to assist them with whatever job they had to do, but we were specifically told we could not escort this group of men that had no identification had no identification on their vans, had no identification on their uniforms, and we were not allowed to even ask them what their name was. And this went went on from what he said approximately, and I may be getting this wrong, but it went on for about 84 different times. Hmm. Uh, so that's something that we're trying to pursue now because I think there's a lot of people in New York that know certain things, and and you've got to put this all together. But but I do believe that obviously something was in that building that made it come down. And uh, if you're uh, if you've been in around a farm, diesel will not do it. It burns up immediately, and that's what planes are uh, you know flown by was diesel fuel. Uh, so that was never uh, something that you would have uh, the commission or the con- Congress uh, even investigate. They didn't even investigate yeah. that. Uh, and I think well, there was people that are afraid. To talk, yeah. they're starting to talk now, but they're they've been afraid. Well, well, there's never been a steel building that caught on fire that collapsed. The steel structure always remained number one. Steel right. diesel fuel burns at about 1,100 degrees. Steel melts at about 2,000 degrees or 2,500 degrees, something like that. Exactly. So mm-hmm. the diesel fuel couldn't uh, cause the building to come down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Thank Anybody you, Sam. Else Anybody else? Feel free to star six your phone or try to talk to you unmuted, Steve. 
I have a comment or a question. Go ahead. Uh, this is Ray in North Carolina. Uh, thank you for coming on tonight. We've enjoyed your presentation very much and uh, appreciate thank the work you. you're doing. Um, you mentioned that you are familiar with Christopher Boleyn and his work. Are you in agreement with his conclusion about who was behind it? I'm not going to make a comment on that because I think that the evidence needs to lead where it goes. Um. Hey, Ray, Ray we, we, I promised uh, I promised the bill we would not have gotchas on this call. <laughs> well, I was just, I mean, I I'm not trying to trap anybody. I was just, it's just, no. just something I'd like to know. No, no, no. No, I, I, I think I think we're all in agreement, uh, uh, at least the, the, the back, back flow of this, that... Um, you know, Christopher Boleyn's been been very strident, very direct in in labeling uh, the the group or what he claims to be the group that that caused 9/11. And uh, well, he's not uh, alone. In it. Well, we've we've had uh, well, yeah, we've had Patrick Ride on the call that. many times. We've had sure. uh, Jim Fetzer, and they're all in agreement mm-hmm. with who was the perpetrator. Yep. Well, I'll comment a little bit. Our, our issue, our issue is uh, not who did it. I think Bill was trying to explain that earlier, because if you get into the who did it, everybody there's so many different opinions, nobody comes together and nothing gets done. So we're about getting something done, so we stay off that issue. Yeah, it's what can we do about it at this point, right, Betty? We want to shine the light. We want to bring the facts onto a common public table, Ray. We have never done that with 9-11. Shine well, the light I, I on a think, common uh, public table and create the public record for the benefit of, of, of history and for the benefit of mankind. I, th- I think if uh, a grand jury were to convene and evidence was presented to them, they would have the opportunity to subpoena uh, as many witnesses they would want to, and they, would, they could actually, without even giving them names uh, or, or entities or anything like that, they could they could make their own decisions in in the privacy of the grand jury on which direction they want to follow with the evidence that they have. Yeah, I would I would have to. This is Steve with AU Network. I'd have to agree with Jane and uh, and Bill's analogy uh, with the simple thought that if they pursued the route which you suggested, Ray. That group is so powerful that the money and power they have would do any and everything to derail what Bill and Jane is doing. And so I, I can see where they're going with that, and I can see why. But the biggest thing is the government and the media lying, and I still go back to what we saw several years ago with the stage photo. I can remember it plain as day. I've got a copy of it, front page of every paper in the country, was the the photo of Obama sitting down cross-legged and Hillary covering her mouth with the staged fake killing of, uh, of Osama bin Laden. That was the biggest lie that's ever been staged as far as the photo goes. So the problem is is the media uh, and the government lying about this and staging all these uh, cover-up things they do. Yeah, I, I think if our, if our goal... If, if, if we decide that our goal is to make ourselves powerful enough that that we can't 
I don't, I, we're not advocating that we get behind one leader, one theory, one, one controlled investigation. We're talking about a civic awakening, about a um, groundswell of organized civic support. And that, if that happens, nobody can escape scrutiny. Everybody that Chris Bolin just writes about will unquestionably be subpoenaed, will be, brought, will be forced to testify, cross-examined, and everything that uh, um, Bolin recommends will be fully investigated. And if that didn't happen, the very system that I'm, the very type of organization that we're describing would not stand still. So that, therefore, uh, puts the focus back on ourselves. I don't think we will get even an investigation unless we organize along some fashion like this. We might get an investigation, but it will be controlled by one force or another. If we want the kind of investigation that can confront organized power of any kind, we're going to have to do what we're talking about. I don't see any alternative. And if we do it, if, this, if our power comes from living rooms in Pittsburgh and living rooms in North Carolina and libraries in California, and we're all hooked up with one another through a, uh, an integrated organization that empowers but works toward a set of goals, and we have a strategic plan to pursue this, if we do all that, nobody can escape scrutiny, and they, nobody should escape scrutiny. But but if we organize, if we go the other way around and we start with a presumption of anyone, then you're not going to go anywhere. You're not going to go anywhere. Most of all, because we will be there will be arguments and the, the degree of unity that's required. I mean, people may disagree about who did what, but they won't disagree that something fishy happened that day that ought to be rectified. And as long as we keep that unity and we build this kind of strength that we're talking about, and don't stop, we shouldn't be satisfied with getting an investigation. It's quite possible that President Trump. We'll convene a panel tomorrow. That's that's wonderful, and it's quite possible that a future Congress might do it. That's wonderful. But if we don't have the kind of organization behind it, we will all be wondering whether that um, investigation is being manipulated. So that's why I say it comes back to us and what we do, and not our dark forebodings. But uh, whether we're willing to stand up and be the kind of citizens that the country that our forefathers forefathers said we needed to be if we wanted to keep a democracy. Well, and I can we appreciate what you're saying. We have to follow the evidence. We have to follow the evidence. Well, certainly. Now, I'm talking about primary evidence. I'm not talking as close as we can get to primary evidence. Um, circumstantial, yes, cases are filed on that basis. But I, I, when I was in the JFK uh, assassination, I, I was their attorney for years in, uh, here in Dallas, and everyone had an idea of, well, so-and-so did it. Well, so-and-so did it. Well, I mean, no one got anywhere. Um, so that, that, that's, you know, there's a lot of evidence that came out with time, but you, you have to follow the evidence, and the evidence will take you there. It, it, it usually always will. Now, of course, we have problems with uh, New York removing a lot of that evidence, <laughs> but there is still some evidence in the country uh, of the shield beams uh, that have been sent around the country for memorials that is, was ordered by the federal judge to be uh, to be uh, shipped to different places for memorials for 9/11, and those can be examined uh, by the court order uh, if the families so desire to do so. They are allowed to do so, and that's what we we hope at some point to be able to do. Um, that evidence is is still there, but a lot of it did get shipped off. Yeah. Yep. Well, there's hey, Bill, uh, this is Marvin in Oregon. Bill, could I ask you? You know, what distresses me the most is that we have 
lost our rule of law process. And I want to ask you if you find much sympathy for among the legal profession, among your peers in the profession, do you find much sympathy for this loss of the rule of law process created by 9-11 and the keeping that thing out of the courts over? I don't think people know. Well, I think it's it's terrible. Uh, that's what you mean. I do have sympathy for the fact that it's so little commented on. No, I have no sympathy for that at all. Um, and uh, among us, we've talked about uh, 9-11 in the post-constitutional era. Uh, it's, uh, Jane and I have talked about we don't, we'll need some more lawyers to help us to, to do this so we don't get too distracted. But we'd, we'd like to see some um, um, professional education courses on uh, the implications of 9-11 for constitutional law in the post-constitutional age. And um, we still see it happening. And we, uh, yes, the legal profession is called upon to um, stand up against this. I remember seeing a few years ago um, in Pakistan, there, was film, there, was, there were newsreels of lawyers marching in the street to protest some action that the... Uh, military ruler of Pakistan had taken. I'd kind of like to see that happening in our country, too. and I'm not seeing it. Yes, yes. Thanks. Thank you, sir, from uh, Oregon. Uh, anybody else? And then we're going to wrap up the call, guys. Guys, you've been on for about an hour and a half. And uh, anybody else? Okay. Uh, Bill. I, I sense, we all sense, um, you know, like pressing the button, saying the right phrases, exciting the, the imagination of people out there, the, the great unwashed. I mean, there, there's so many young people who were too young to even experience 9-11, but they're being, you know, through the media, the controlled media, the controlled press, even textbooks and everything else they're getting. But at the same time, we in the alternative media, circles know that there's a great wealth of access of information that was just not there 15 years ago, 20 years ago. So you have to be gratified to know that thanks to podcasting, thanks to even the Alex Jones effect, whatever you want to call it, we've been doing the show for 10 years. Uh, there are many other people like us that are out there doing the same thing, concerned uh, to get alternative sources of information, but Still, with 9-11, the legal clause have never entered that, that, that black cube, whatever you want to call it. We have not seen the true light of day when it comes to that, 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 that event. And uh, anything that you can do, that we can do, guys, on this call, the links are all there. Sign up, sign the petition, and uh, let's start working with, uh, with this group on a regular basis. Bill, we hope to have you back on to update us on, on the progress of this thing because every county, every state should have people uh, signed up on this petition and, and to raise money and to, and, and to get this going. So, uh, um, I, I mean, it's not that long ago. 9-11, it was not that long ago. Yeah, we figured out, uh, Fred, that if uh, everybody uh... – if you start out with a group of say, eight people, and if each one could bring one new person a month and keep doing that mm -hmm. into the fold, 
we would have something like 300 million people organized in two years. So uh, it's a, and we are seeing a, a, a rapid growth. And uh, as we develop more of the custom and the habit and the, the great examples of this petition gathering and signing, and as we have as we follow up when people sign, they get called by their regional or their state or their local coordinator. We can start bring, overcoming this fear. It's a very liberating thing to be active in something like this, as opposed to uh, um, kind of uh, wallowing in fear. I mean, to me, the worst thing about it is the, the pall of fear. You know, it's one thing Betty made the point about um, when uh, you know it's no wonder that people are traumatized by what happened to them in New York. Well, of course, they should be traumatized by the collapse of those buildings and all those all, all the terror of that day, but they shouldn't be afraid to speak out. That's yeah. something else. That, that's another thing. And when you're, when you know, if you live your life in fear, well, we all know what that means. It, 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 it's like dying, dying every day. But I'm seeing when people get involved with this, it's a very liberating thing, and we, we're creating a real community of, of people who are interested in building a culture, of, a culture of truth. And the possibilities for that culture of truth are really pretty limitless. They interface with many other um, things that we sense are not right in the world. Where there's been efforts to deprive us of, inf- us of information, and as you say, the truthful media like what you're doing uh, helps to overcome it. But it's very liberating to join with others in rejecting propaganda and uh, demanding communal action and taking part in it. What some just last day, someone made the point that um, you know we know who did it, and they're going to keep us from doing it, from from from, from prosecuting. If we, we don't want an organization, including ours, which is top down. Uh, because then you'll say, oh, those leaders must have sold out. We want an organization which builds from local towns and cities, uh, chooses leaders from those groups to represent at, the, at a sub-state or a state level, and chooses people there to the to the higher level. Some people in history call things like this a state within a state. But we need to have an organization where when the organization takes a position, it's with full buy-in from everybody because they or their friends and people they knew, know and people respected participated in that decision. That's That would legitimize the course of action that we take, and that's what we really are calling on all of you to participate in. Uh, lawyers are a, a key element of this, or, uh, certainly as they fulfill their full professional uh, responsibility, uh, but it's definitely a, primarily a citizen role, so we invite you to uh, join with us in that action. If I could just get one of those 84 tapes, that would be a big, big uh, boulder to move. Man, I did not know there were 84 tapes missing. I thought it was just a mm-hmm. handful, but I got a number. That number... 85. Really put, yeah, or 85, excuse me. <laughs> mm-hmm. Boy. Hey, Bill, thank you so much. Uh, Bill Jacoby, everyone. Jane Clark, thank you so much. Jane Clark is the chair of the Lawyers Committee on 9-11 Inquiry, and uh, Bill Jacoby is the secretary of that committee, plus the committee called 9-11 Truth Action Project. The links are down below. Please sign the petitions, pass these things around, put them on social media, pass around the audio archives, as it's called, when it's ready. And, Bill, we'll send you over the link when it's done uh, later on tonight, okay? Jane, thank Great. you so much. Can we stay in touch and and uh, and... Just uh, we'll make it a regular 
type of connection with you guys as, as we go forward. We'd love to have you back on, Bill. Sure, that would be fine. Thank you very much, too. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Jane. Thank you, Thank folks. You. Bill okay. Jacoby, next installment uh, for Bob Schultz's life story is next Thursday, guys. Don't don't be sure not to miss it. It's going to be good. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Jane. Okay. Good night, everyone. Thank you, Frank. Great show. Good night, God everyone. Bless. See you next good week. Good night. Good night. Good night. Take care. Thanks, Judy. Thanks, Good night. Betty. Thank you. Good night, everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks, Chris. A-U-N, American Underground Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.